Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and the proper etiquette of unleashing your Shenron. Tonight's episode is the second and final installment of the Demon King Piccolo arc. Will Goku find a way to save the day? Will Tien avenge his fallen friends? And will Yajirobe ever truly be full? Prepare yourselves as we prepare to serve you these answers. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi. And before we begin our discussion, would you mind setting the stage and reminding us where we left off at, Todd? Absolutely. Last time on Instant Transmission. We started off strong in the Demon King Piccolo arc as Goku found his best friend lying on the floor, dead. We quickly learned that some monster killed Krillin and stole Goku's Dragon Ball. And all Goku can think about in this moment is revenge. Master Roshi tells us the story of Demon King Piccolo, a monster who nearly took over the world, if not for Roshi's own master, Mutaito, and the evil containment wave technique that trapped Piccolo inside a rice cooker for decades. But Pilaf, in future or in present time, released the monster, and Piccolo's minion is the one who killed Krillin. Goku confronts the minion, Tambourine, not once, but twice, losing the first battle. Goku goes back for more once he's well-rested, killing Tambourine. Piccolo is furious, and with his plans to take over the world and get revenge on all martial artists being temporarily derailed by this child, he confronts Goku himself. Goku is no match for the mighty King Piccolo, and the monster leaves him for dead, collecting yet another Dragon Ball that Goku had taken from his new friend, Yajirobe. King Piccolo collects the Dragon Balls for his wish, but Master Roshi, Tien, and Chiaotzu arrive on the scene to stop him. Roshi forces Tien to sit this one out as he attempts a dangerous technique, the evil containment wave, against King Piccolo. The technique fails, taking Master Roshi's life with it. Chiaotzu tries to intervene with a wish when Piccolo summons Shenron, but Chiaotzu is also killed before he can make a wish, attacked by King Piccolo. This results in King Piccolo attaining his wish for eternal youth. With his wish granted, Piccolo destroys Shenron with another key blast so no one else can use the Dragon Balls. Things are looking bleak for our heroes. And it's on that sour note that we begin the second half of the Demon King Piccolo arc today. Yeah, and that second half, it begins with episode 113, King Castle on the Offensive Defensive. And we begin things with the new and improved evil King Piccolo beginning his assault on the world. And his goal is to usher in a new era of darkness under his evil rule. His first target is the King's Castle, ruled by <clears throat> King Furry. And <laughs> when he arrives, it is on a day of celebration. There's a parade in the street, and it seems like there are ambassadors from around the areas all showing up in celebration of their kind and caring ruler. 
Yeah, yeah. The King Furry is pretty well liked. He seems like a pretty good dude or dog or whatever he is. Uh, and we kind of move from that scene kind of setting up to Yajirobe and Goku as they arrive at the base of Korin's tower. And once more, uh, Goku was left for dead by King Piccolo. So this is Goku just barely hanging on to life. Yajirobe's kind of strangely enough, taking care of him and they are beginning their trek up Korin's tower once more with Yajirobe carrying Goku and being convinced to do so with some tasty food once they get to the top of the tower. Oh yeah, Goku's making all these promises, telling Yajirobe, yeah, there's there's great food up there. It's it's food like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, we're we're always just a second away from reaching the top. And all this keeps spurring Yajirobe on, but Yajirobe's not happy the entire time. He's complaining. He's telling Goku the food better be fantastic. I love the banter between these two characters because it's Goku kind of kind of being a little bit cheeky here, kind of manipulating Yajirobe a little bit, and Yajirobe's just going along for the ride. It's pretty fantastic because Goku, I mean, we know Goku's not the smartest person on the planet, but he's definitely using his his wit here to kind of get Yajirobe on board. And he's completely feeding Yajirobe horseshit here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious, though, because if there's one motivation that Goku truly understands, it's it's food. Yeah, that's a good point. They definitely have that in common. And he knows how to get Yajirobe on board. So it works out in his favor in this instance anyway. Mm -hmm. Goku even sells Yajirobe on the famed delicious sensu beans. And there's a quote I love where Yajirobe, with conviction, looks up to the top of the tower and he says, nobody is eating Yajirobe's beans. It's <laughs> a great line. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's, it's just a fun moment. And it's kind of the, the <laughs> it's in character, wholesome humor that just it makes me laugh and I don't feel bad about it. Oh, yeah, that's excellent. That's a good job on the dubs part. And I think from there, we kind of cut over to the the scene of destruction that we left off with, where Tien is kind of the last man standing, and he is mourning the deaths of both Chaozu and Master Roshi as he's kind of collected their bodies. And Balma and the others arrive on the scene to find two of their close friends lying on the ground dead. And they, I also wanted to put a note in here too, that they, they believe, I think in this moment that Goku is dead too. They, they don't know what happened to Goku necessarily. Um, but they're they're They point out that Tien and Yamcha are really the only two people they know of who are left to fight against this monster King Piccolo. Yeah. And both of them are kind of, kind of guilt ridden in some ways. And they're, they're under the stress of kind of this carnage that's happened around them where a lot of their closest friends are, as far as they know, dead at this point. And we see this kind of pleading from Yamcha with Tien to try and work together to figure out a way to bring down King Piccolo since they they couldn't beat him alone, and working together is their only chance. And Tien just shuts it down. He says, no, 
He says, I, I have to do this alone. And he also mentions that at this point, he has nothing left to lose. And it's kind of a, a true and deep point that Tien doesn't really have much at this point. Like he lost his best friend and Roshi was his new master that was going to kind of put him on the, the right path and kind of fix his life. Now he's gone. This is actually really great. I, I love this point of storytelling here because Tien even goes so far as to say that he's willing to throw his life away uh, to to avenge his friends and atone for his past actions. And in doing so, what he's talking about here is learning the evil containment wave that Master Roshi tried to use on King Piccolo, failed, and lost his life as a result. So Tien's basically resolved to go down that same path and... Another thing that I really like about this, and th I think that this might come later in this arc, but Tien later compares himself to King Piccolo, saying that they really were not that different in their actions. Uh, and Tien, I think, is a, that's another point of guilt or atonement for Tien as well. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's really starting to feel like... Um... Like Tien's story arc maybe hasn't ended yet. That he's got he's got more to learn and maybe more he can do. And I I really honestly thought that after the end of the last story arc that this would kind of be the the last really hoorah of Tien. Like we gave him his time in the sun, we're gonna move on. But he's still getting even if he's not the main character in the story arc, his scene time is still pretty good. They're still building on what they had, and I I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's very good character writing for Tien. I really like this part for him. But he he leaves by himself to train learning the evil containment wave and just kind of leaves the the rest of the gang high and dry there to pick up the pieces. Uh and I think from there we kind of move back over to Piccolo, King Piccolo as he assaults the king's palace just easily murdering guard after guard left and right getting shot by dozens of guns even walking straight up to tanks with just little concern for them doing damage to him yeah the the peaceful streets that were i mean just lined with with excited people just moments ago are now being kind of torn apart in real time as all the city's defenses are pretty much knocked aside and nothing is stopping Piccolo. And Piccolo has a pretty single-minded goal. He's going to make his way towards King Furry. And, I mean, from there, you can only imagine what he's going to do. Yeah, and just a little detail that ties this into our main cast is that we have Goku's friend, Suno, in the city here, in what I believe is East City, she's there for the King's celebration. And she's she's clearly, I mean, she's in danger. She's not a clear target of King Piccolo, but she's right beside all of these explosions and all of this death happening in the city, uh, which, which makes it a little bit more relevant to us as the audience. Let's make sure to put a, a pin in her being there because I have some thoughts about that once we get to the end here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about that more. And I think it does kind of keep moving forward with King Piccolo uh, looking for the king. Basically, a, a few guards attempt to 
distract King Piccolo so that they can uh, give King Furry some time to escape. But we actually get to see a really good scene of a large muscled guard trying to attack King Piccolo with his fists and Piccolo just catches it, punches him into a wall and then stabs through his torso with his hand. And it's, it's a pretty graphic death scene for what is largely considered a children's show. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it almost feels kind of out of nowhere, right? We haven't really seen this kind of, I mean, I would say gratuitous violence like this. Piccolo is in an entirely different atmosphere as far as power level goes. And he just ruthlessly just takes down this man just in the most brutal way for no reason other than I think he probably enjoyed it. Yeah. And I will talk more about King Piccolo as we move forward with this being his arc. But I, I still really like this tone shift. I know we talked about it a little bit in the first part, but he's just, he's just an evil asshole. Like he's evil for evil's sake. And he thrives off of pain and suffering. And it's a it's a nice change from some of the, the previous villains that we've had in Dragon Ball. I, I definitely enjoy that part. We, we've had a lot of other villains that were, that we were told were bad, right? Like off scene, they've done a bunch of bad things. And so you, you kind of believe that they're bad or maybe they've, they've been like a jerk. But we we are now, this is the classic example of show, don't tell, right? Yes. This is, we're seeing he's a bad, I, no one needs to tell me this. I can just see what he's doing. And now I know this is a dastardly evil green man. Yes, absolutely. And it kind of moves forward after Piccolo realizes that King Furry is trying to escape. We see King Furry's flying car or space pod, whatever you want to call it, uh, moving away from the city and Piccolo easily flies to the car, lands on top of it and is at this point threatening King Furry. And I think that's largely where we wrap up the episode. Yeah. Um. The only other note is that they show that Yajirobe and Goku finally make it up to Korin's place. And so uh, we're going to begin that at the start of the next episode. Which is <laughs> episode 114, Goku's Wish. Even Karen-sama is worried. Yeah, so uh, this kind of starts right off where we left King Piccolo as he declares himself king, uh, kind of ripping open the pod that King Furry is in and says, hey, I'm king now. Tell your people the whole world is controlled by me. And he says this while murdering the guards and officers that King Furry has around him. Uh, but King Furry, to his credit, is unwilling to comply in this moment. Yeah, and at this point, Piccolo decides that the king needs just a little bit more motivation. And so an announcing that he doesn't need another uh, first mate or whatever position you'd like to call the man. Um, he picks up one of the soldiers out of the car and holds him over the side of it. And mind you, they're, you know, a couple hundred feet up in the air. And he begins threatening um, uh, King Furry that, yeah, I'm going to kill this guy. And he's like, oh, no, you wouldn't. And 
that this is where things get real big is that he decides he's going to take it up another notch and we see him start crackling with energy and we see it flowing over Piccolo and we see him fire a key blast into the cityscape blowing up. I don't know how many city blocks, but I can only imagine how many thousands were just killed in that single key blast. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't necessarily get to see the individuals who are killed here, but it looks like a miles wide crater that was just blown into the city streets. I mean, like you said, clearly thousands of people who were just murdered here within seconds. Yeah. And Piccolo does it all with a smile. He really does not care about how many people he has to kill. This is all just a game to him. It's just fun to him. So at this point, King Furry, I don't think he really has a choice. Yeah, yeah. King Furry is, with that show of devastating power, King Furry is on board and willing to comply with King Piccolo because, like you said, he just doesn't have another choice. And that kind of moves us to, we briefly get to see Balma and the gang as they place the bodies of Roshi and Chaozu in these icebox capsules like the one that they placed Krillin in and as they reach out to Tien to try to formulate some sort of plan Tien informs them that they won't be resurrecting their friends with the Dragon Balls because King Piccolo destroyed Shenron yeah and this is everyone's kind of in disbelief of the situation and I don't blame them they're kind of at a loss for words and Things are about as bleak as they could possibly be. You have Master Roshi out of the fight. Chaozu's dead. As far as they know, Goku's dead as well, and the inter- Eternal Dragon's gone. So everyone who's dead, they're gone forever as far as they know. And it's at this point that Tien more or less tells them that I'm not, like, I'm doing this alone. I have to atone. And he gets in his ship, and he flies off. So now we have kind of this somber moment between Bulma, Yamcha, and the rest of the gang where they're pretty much helpless in this situation. Yeah. And with that, we kind of shift over to Yajirobe and Goku as they have reached the top of Korin's tower. And... (laughs) I like the way that my note is written here. It just says, Corin knows Goku got his ass whooped. (laughs) (laughs) So Corin clearly has some way of uh, seeing what's going on in the world, or at least is very intuitive. Uh, And he also provides Goku, who is damn near on death's door, as well as Yajirobe with sensu beans. But, Yajirobe decides to have more than his fair share. Yeah, he's upset that there's no, you know, three-course or seven-course meal waiting for him, and he just starts shoveling sensu beans into his mouth. And after a few shovelfuls, you see him kind of plump open a little bit and instantly regrets eating that many sensu beans. I think each one's like, what, 10 days worth of food? It's 10 days worth of food for a single (laughs) bean, and he just eats handful after handful. (laughs) Oh, that guy's going to be full for a lifetime. (laughs) Yeah, basically. uh, That's going to be one hell of a poop. (laughs) 
We uh we do get Goku though pleading for Corrin to train him at this point because Goku's more or less out of options. And to Goku's surprise, Corrin reveals that he's already taught Goku everything he can. And this is also where Corrin reveals Master Roshi's fate and Goku is in just utter disbelief and angry. Yeah, I mean, all within a very short period of time at the hands of Piccolo, Goku has lost his best friend and now his mentor and he's he's pissed like he he came up here to get healed and to get training so that he could be powerful enough to defeat piccolo but with this revelation he damn near jumps out of the tower ready to go fight piccolo again and corn is just barely able to stop him with the mention of the ultra divine water Yep, that might just be the very thing Goku needs to prepare him to fight King Piccolo. But, like any good episode, it leaves us on that cliffhanger. Yeah, which, mo- go ahead. Which I think moves us right into the next episode, which is episode 115. Get your hands on it, the mysterious Super Godwater. Yeah, this is interesting. Uh, I have a lot to say about this one, but the Corin basically reveals that the ultra divine water, which is not the same as the. Actually, I didn't write the write down what the other water was called. I the... think it's just divine water. It might or... be divine water, <laughs> and this is water. ultra divine water. Yeah, so. Originally, when Corrin trained Goku, he told him that there was some sort of divine water that could increase his power and abilities. However, that was a ruse and was a ploy, and Corrin keeping the water away from Goku and Goku attempting to retrieve it was really what increased Goku's power and abilities. But we've kind of flipped that circumvention of a traditional trope and come back full circle to the trope of here's this MacGuffin that's going to give you extra power. (laughs) Yeah. It's I, I like a lot of the, the training arcs in dragon ball, the things they do to learn or get stronger or improve themselves in some sort of way. I kind of thought that there was going to be a, I guess some sort of twist with this arc that there was going to be, you know, what's, what's the actual quest here. And uh, the actual quest is just get get the damn water. Like, that's the whole thing. And it's this feels very, very side questy to me. I felt the same. I will get a little bit deeper and then I have some more thoughts to share about this, too. But Corin basically reveals that this ultra divine water, which could empower Goku, is is inside of a maze Uh, ice maze of which many adventurers have gone and attempted to retrieve this water. However, none of them have returned. Uh, The maze is nearly impossible to navigate, but I mean, Goku being Goku is not going to take, he's not going to uh, give up even if a, a task is seemingly impossible. 
Yeah, and the same uh, quest is offered to Yajirobe, who, of course, refuses it because that's dangerous and he doesn't want to risk his hide. And he spends his time going through Corrin's food supplies and accidentally stumbles upon a magic jar that just so happens to be the doorway to this very same icy labyrinth. It's both kind of funny and wildly convenient. But yes, Yajirobe falls into the pot. Korin leads Goku to the pot. Uh, Goku, of course, wanting to make his way into this maze. Uh, and Korin tells Goku, once he leaps into this icy landscape, hey, get back to this spot uh, if you can with the after retrieving the Ultra Divine Water, and I'll pull you back up through the pot so that you can get back to my tower and out of this ice maze. Yeah, and, you know, go, get through the maze, get your prize, and get out. It's a pretty straightforward fe fetch quest, right? Like, yeah. all right, makes sense to me. They're in an icy maze. It's really cold there, and uh, you don't want to be there for too long because you'll either freeze or starve to death. All right, got it. Well, they go through the... Uh, the, the magic door, they get there, and we quickly find that the labyrinth is not quite what it seems. It seems to almost kind of shift and warp with its paths where you just came from. It might not be where it leads back to. It is, I mean, it is a labyrinth, but it's also a shifting labyrinth, and we very quickly discover that it's full of danger as well. Absolutely. Uh, Yajirobe and Goku find a frozen dead adventurer. They end up getting lost in this magical labyrinth, and eventually the ice beneath their feet begins to crack and creates an ice monster, just this kind of large blob of ice. Uh, Yajirobe tries to cut the creature. It seems to do nothing. Even a Kamehameha from Goku, while it destroys part of the creature, it just recreates itself. Really uninspiring Kamehameha, by the way. Just did not like that one. One of the lowest Kamehamehas they've had in the show. I was going to ask what your thought on that one was, and I agree. It was pretty lackluster. Forgettable. I, I can barely picture it in my head at this point. I mean, there have been some average ones. This is a below average one. Yeah, this one was not very good. I agree. But... Because the the instant win Kamehameha button did not work against this creature, this results in <laughs> Yajirobe and Goku running away, falling down a slide, and falling into a chasm of darkness. Yeah, and when they fall into this chasm of darkness, it's almost like they awaken something. Some ancient evil or something like that stirs in the deepness. And with that ancient evil were also revealed a very familiar face, and that is the face and voice of Master Roshi. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, I I think for the most part, we get a couple of other little scenes, one of Suno, I think, who's still kind of in danger, one of Tien practicing the evil containment wave, but largely this reveal of master roshi inside of this ice maze is kind of what takes us to the end of this episode yeah and that leads us right into episode 116 kame sedens alive is that master roshi i'm guessing that's master roshi that's him 
Okay. <laughs> so we dive into episode 116 and Goku and Yajirobe are kind of creeping through these deep and dark tunnels and they decide to split up so that way Yajirobe can look for the exit and Goku can can continue his quest for the ultra divine water. And yeah, it doesn't take long for Goku to wander down the dark cave and stumble across what seems to be his late master. Yeah, and Master Roshi actually takes Goku, leads him to Kame House. Uh, it is no longer on its island, but it is inside of this dark cave space that they're walking through. And as Master Roshi opens the door, Goku is greeted by all of his friends with Balma, Yamcha, Oolong, Poir, everyone is there, even Turtle. And they they seem excited to see Goku, but not everything here is exactly as it seems. I'm not going to lie. This is this episode is very tropey to me. And so my notes start going way downhill very quickly at this point, right? This is the illusion or whatever you want to call it of your friends are going to tell you to to stay here forever or whatever it is and when goku brings up the fact that he's got to find the ultra divine water to defeat piccolo they all laugh at him and everyone's talking in like these really i don't know rough jagged versions of themselves right they're saying things almost kind of robotically right yeah and yeah you're right i mean in fantasy, we've seen this trope done millions of times over. Granted, we are watching a show that's probably 35 plus years old. So this is probably one of the earlier times that you see this trope in media. But it's a little bit overdone at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where... unfortunately, it it it's 35 plus years later. So it's... Uh, it's not as original as it may have been at some point. Yeah, definitely not. This this part has not aged well, and already, it's, like you said, feels especially since they've uh, they've they've used this trope multiple times in Dragon Ball itself. So <laughs> this this trope was maybe they based the future ones off of this one, and they could be callbacks. But mm, mm, I don't know. I've just seen this trope so many times that I was not excited. I'll be honest too. This might be, or at least parts of this might be filler from the anime they might not be directly taken from the manga it it definitely feels fillery to me anyway yeah but it's goku pretty quickly figures out that something's off about his friends mostly because they all want him to give up and not try and it's at this point goku's just like no i'm leaving i'm finding the ultra divine water and Roshi steps out of Kame House when Goku tries to leave and says, no, and I will kill you if you try. And this is where we get kind of a, I guess, a interesting battle between Goku and Master Roshi. I, I mean, it wasn't very entertaining, but it's interesting. I'll be honest, the like, it is interesting to me, but it's the fight is not the interesting part. I mean, even just hearing Master Roshi, his character and his voice say, if you leave, I'm going to kill you is like 
it's kind of jarring to hear that. But the interesting part about this fight is that Goku basically just tries to dodge away from Master Roshi's attacks as Roshi throws some rocks at him. And eventually, Yajirobe, while chasing down some food, falls back down into the chasm, falling into Goku and knocking Goku basically off of a ledge where Goku latches on to the, the corner of the ledge, latches on to Yajirobe with his other hand is, and is kind of hanging there over open space, over a fall that would almost certainly kill both of them. And this Master Roshi copycat comes over and is just tempting Goku to drop Yajirobe and let him die. And also goes so far as just to beat Goku brutally trying to get him to drop Yajirobe. And Goku will not let go of his newly found friend. Yeah. And you're seeing kind of the Goku's face get bloodied up and, He's even using some sort of technique to, I think, make, I don't know, Goku's arm just writhe in pain and just swell up. And Goku's enduring it. Goku's refusing to give up. And it's, I mean, it's showing Goku's fortitude, right? And his refusal to to back away from his, his moral values. And right. I think it's, you know, that's pretty great and all. Um, But I guess I don't. I know where everything's going, so my my investment in this is not very high, but I, it's neat. I'll give it a neat. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, this to me was the most compelling part of probably this entire episode, but mm-hmm. I I know what you mean. I, I know who... I've seen so much Dragon Ball. I know who Goku <laughs> is. I know that he's not going to drop Yajirobe. I know that he's not going to give up. Um, but it's it is interesting to me to watch his mentor master Roshi torture him and try to make him do so. But this basically results in this master Roshi copycat fading away. And we get to see it's almost like this disembodied figure in the background uh, as this whole thing was kind of an illusion of sorts uh, created by this figure that calls himself darkness that Corin had actually warned Goku about, but the darkness then indicates that Goku is worthy and the darkness provides or presents to him the ultra divine water. Yeah. And with the ultra divine water, there's a warning that's attached to it that the uncertain and weak will die. And when asked about how many people have tried the water, we were given the number 13 and how many people survived drinking it. That number is currently zero. And so Yajirobe, I think actually says something smart. He tells Goku, that's not God water. That's poison. And I a hundred percent agree. It's a hilarious line. I mean, Yajirobe even goes so far as to say, here, let me taste a piece of that. And just like licks the water and just begins like gagging like he's dying. And he's like, that's that's not going to p- power you up. That's poison. <laughs> so, good. so good. Oh, see, these are good jokes. Dragon Ball Super make jokes that are within the character. Oh, yeah, love it's, it. it's very appropriate character writing. I really enjoyed the the comedy here. But Goku, of course, he's determined to drink the water. It doesn't matter how much 
poison the darkness has put into it. And so Goku kind of hesitates for a moment and then throws back the ultra divine water and immediately starts writhing in pain on the ground. Yeah. I think the only other scene that we get in this episode is... Is Piccolo making crime legal? Hell yeah, he does. Chaos, baby. (laughs) This is pretty excellent. Uh, Piccolo is, I believe, seen on TV giving uh, his decree uh, with King Furry, kind of almost handing over the throne to King Piccolo, but trying to defy it. Uh, And Piccolo says, this is my decree of freedom. Uh, theft, violence, murder, and chaos. I want all of you to participate in that. Uh, I think he even goes so far as to say that he wants all of the criminals released from any police facility. And uh, this is this is pretty wild. Again, for a kids show, this is a big tone shift. Yeah, it's this is. I mean, world spanning chaos this is all the worst elements of society just unleashed and you're seeing people running through the streets kind of bombing buildings firing guns it's it turns into absolute mayhem and i love it piccolo's having a good time i'm having a good time yeah i mean this is wild like i i really enjoy while they're brief and they're kind of like in the background i enjoy getting to see the the seeds of chaos that Piccolo has kind of planted inside of humanity as they all are just like, well, shit, I guess this is what we got to do now. <laughs> <laughs> the The only final note is that at the very, very tail end of the episode, while Goku's kind of rolling around, writhing in pain, we get kind of flashes of the Uzaru monkey form kind of happening in the background of Goku's pain. So there's... There's some sort of tie-in with that, but they don't really tell us, unfortunately. Yeah, it's kind of alluding to some things that we might see in the the upcoming episodes, and I think that that kind of takes us to the next one. Which is episode 117, Son Goku Finally Departs. And this episode begins with Goku dying. No, it doesn't. Um, So Goku <laughs> survives. Right, over, guys. Yeah, it, it all ended there. Everything else is a dream. Uh, Goku <laughs> shockingly survives the ultra divine water. They actually show this immediately. And, uh, he says he feels different, but is unsure of what changed. And I thought that was kind of an, I guess, an interesting element of this kind of power up where it kind of alluded to not necessarily just a strength boost, but a something else is happening with Goku. Yeah. I mean, the, I think we quickly kind of get a few details that allude to what could be going on uh, where I I think shortly after this, he says that he feels more powerful, but also at peace all at the same time. Uh, But one of the really important details here is that as he comes to, he says, Oh, I can see the way out of here. I can see it clearly now. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, he's got conviction in his voice. He's confident and he says he knows the way out. He says it's so clear, like something like a light was just turned on for for Goku. I don't it's really fascinating, Um, but they're going to reveal some of this in just a moment as they both grab onto the power pole 
and shoot up into the darkness towards the entrance or exit of the icy labyrinth. Yeah, and our scenes kind of cut here around showing us different things going on around the world as we get to see additional scenes of the riots that began due to King Piccolo's new rule. And we get to see a familiar face as we rejoin Ader or Android 8 uh, as he is journeying to East City and he sees the crater in the city and he quickly is concerned for Suno's safety, but he does find Suno uh, and make, make sure that she is safe. And then we cut to another scene with a biker gang. Yeah, I wasn't sure where this is going, but they show like this group of thugs with bikes and stuff. And they're, you know, they're drawing like mayhem and annihilation on their shirts and stuff. And they're getting ready to go out and I guess do the bidding of King Piccolo. And what they do do is go out and I guess move some rubble around looking for leftovers and then run into Ader and snow and i guess have their minds changed i don't know this was probably one of the shortest lived story arcs i've seen in a minute yeah it was, i mean it's it feels a little bit silly but i guess they're trying to show us what's going on in the world and yeah ader basically just slaps the shit out of a kid with a knife and is like hey stop that and they're like <laughs> okay we won't yeah i think it's just it might just be there to show that people are actually flying the banner of king piccolo that it's in some circles, he's actually popular, and that's why his, his I guess, his method of world domination is actually somewhat effective. Yeah, I mean, fear has power, man. Uh, but that kind of leads to us moving over to Tien, watching his training with the evil containment wave, and he essentially completes it. He succeeds in performing the containment wave technique and he says he's ready to go trap king piccolo and lets his friends know as much yeah and it's he lets them know that this is kind of the atonement for all the bad things he's done and he makes it clear that he's going to do this alone and there's almost like this kind of goodbye moment that happens between i guess Tien and, and Yamcha and Bulma and Lange because they know that no matter what happens at this point, when Tien shows up to that fight, win or lose, he's not coming back alive sort of thing. And it's kind of this somber moment. Yeah, and we've kind of glossed over it because honestly, Launch is kind of a background character at this point, but she clearly has a thing for Tien. So there's there's a little bit of a connection there. But we also kind of move forward as we get to see Goku and Yajirobe make their way to the entrance, or as you said, the exit to this ice maze. And they kind of holler at Corrin to let them out. And I think this is actually, I jumped ahead a little bit, but this is the moment where Goku kind of reveals once they get back into Corrin's tower that he feels both powerful, but also at peace and you can definitely tell like you said Dayton in his demeanor that he's he's just more confident he's sure of himself and he even reveals that he can 
sense he specifically says he can sense piccolo's power level yeah looking out the edge of the lookout he mentions to corn that he's able to sense where piccolo is and this is where corn confirms that he's able to sense power now and this is something that a lot of characters learn to do throughout of drag throughout all of dragon ball and something that just becomes commonplace or expected like a building block of dragon ball is the ability to sense energy and we finally kind of see that get integrated into one of our main characters right now. I know Master Roshi has kind of shown flashes of being able to do that, and obviously Korin can, but now Goku can do it, and we're starting to see this power kind of, I guess, fan out and touch more characters. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I mean, I think even Dragon Ball Z Abridged kind of makes the appropriate joke that this is one of Goku's particularly good skills, uh, something that he's particularly adept at. And this is, uh, like you said, you you indicated a few of our like master level characters who know how to do this in some way, shape, or form. But this is one of the first times that we see any of the like student characters actually pick up on this technique. Yeah, and I think... Um, DBZ actually does a, a good job of kind of making this feel less commonplace, right? Uh, all the Saiyans that show up on Earth can't do it. The entire Ginyu Force couldn't do it. I don't think Frieza could even do it. I think Frieza needed a scouter as well. It was pretty much just yeah. our Z fighters that picked up on this trade. Yeah, it's interesting that this was like, like Goku kind of picks this up and it's it's something that, you know, our Earthlings sort of learn, or at least our key adept earthlings start to figure out uh but yeah a lot of other people across the universe don't know how to do it they need scouters or technology uh, but this kind of leads us to Corin now giving goku a new nimbus and actually calls on it's kind of a funny little scene where Corin calls this gigantic collection of nimbus clouds over to the tower for goku to pick one out yes and this this giant nimbus cloud thing is apparently just a collection of a bunch of nimbus clouds and goku can pick whichever one he wants out but here's the thing and here's where i really got caught up on on things is that is goku's old nimbus cloud for reals dead because i thought we just went through this thing where they don't die but now it did die so he has to get a new one i mean that's a good point and i was kind of thinking about that too and i mean dragon ball changes things so many times throughout the the world and the the continuity and this might be one of those times but i mean it also could be that goku's maybe just upgrading because i think corin even said oh that one that i gave Roshi was an old model. <laughs> yeah, so go. apparently there are differences between Nimbus Clouds. You can be pure-hearted, but you can also be poor. Yeah, I mean, it, there's also kind of a weird thing for me, too, with that, where if Goku's original Nimbus Cloud is not dead-dead and it's going to come back, it's, I don't know, to me, it feels like Goku had a connection or has a connection with his Nimbus. Mm -hmm. And this makes that feel a little bit cheap in a way. You see, I felt the exact same way where it was Nimbus Cloud is like one of Goku's oldest companions at this point, And then we just trade it for a different one. <laughs> what are you doing? Come on, Nimbus Cloud. It's 
it's the OG. It was like Goku's first reward for his first quest. Like you gotta, he has to keep it. Yeah, I mean, it's cool to see the big collection of Nimbus clouds, I guess. But I, it bugs me a little bit that it's like, oh, well, you just get a new one. Yeah, or it could just be like, no, Corin could be like, no, nah, your old Nimbus cloud's been here the whole time, and I made some upgrades while you were gone, and then bam, I, everyone's happy. I would have loved that way more. Um, and it, it, eh, it could be a dubism. It could be something that they changed in the dub is possible, but eh, that, that's true. If it's a dub change, I don't like it. If it's actually part of the story, I don't like it. I I have an attachment to that old. Nimbus cloud that Master Roshi can't ride on anymore, and it means something. <laughs> damn it! Yeah, I would hundred percent agree, especially because, like you said, I mean, or like you're indicating, Roshi was the one who gave it to Goku, so it has it has meaning and connection there too. So, but I mean, I'm, I'll get off my soapbox. Uh, we can go ahead and move <laughs> into the next episode, which is episode one eighteen, Ten Shinhan's determination. And this one kicks off with Piccolo announcing his next step in world domination. Each year, he will randomly choose a sector of the planet for a celebration in his honor. And this celebration will also result in the destruction of that section of the world. Yeah, and this is interesting because I think King Furry is the king over one district. And I believe that the world is divided up in, I think they said 43 different districts. And so every year, one of those districts is going to go bye-bye. But at least we have a nice confirmed timer to when the world will end, right? We've got 43 years and then everything's gone. So it's, it's a slow burn. Yeah. And like Piccolo says, you know, you might get lucky and you might have 43 years left to live. But I don't think that's going to be the case because Piccolo was going to do it tomorrow, but he's impatient. And so he decides to do it now. And he draws the first number from that box, which just so happens to be West City. And this is the city that Bulma's family is from. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting because Bulma is not in West City currently, but her parents are there. And so she tries to reach out to her parents to try to get them to get the hiffle out of there. Yeah, and all around them, West City is just falling into absolute pandemonium. People are panicking, trying to get out. There's riots in the street. They're doing what you would expect people to do, which is just no chill. We're getting out of here and we're actually causing more problems than anything else. We're making it slower and worse by being disorderly. Oh, yeah, it's full on pandemonium and rightly so. And this actually leads to criminals breaking into the Kame house, which I was not expecting this at all. But this is an odd and interesting scene as they like threaten the people inside of the house and say, you know, give us your food, your money and belongings. Yeah, and I think I think the point of this, because I had to think about this for a minute, why the, the heck did they have random criminals break into Kame House with Yamcha being there of all people? So they're they're not even really a threat, right? And I think the goal of this was to show just how much reach Piccolo's reign has, how nobody's safe, right? Yeah, Kame House is on this remote island. Nobody would ever think to go there, but even on their their quiet little shoreline, criminals are showing up. So it's I think it's supposed to show the state of the world 
but this battle's more or less resolved pretty quickly. Yamcha beats him up. Everyone's uh, everyone's there doing their part, but they do remind us during this scene that Yamcha's leg is still pretty messed up, so he's not at a hundred percent. Yeah, and it it's it's interesting in that way because I mean, even with a hurt leg, these bandits and criminals with guns are no match for Yamcha. Uh, and it's, there was a, a point in here that was interesting to me too, where I feel like the dub kind of changed the dialogue because there's one criminal that gets slapped by Balma and it feels like he was probably, the dialogue there was different where he was probably looking to get something else from Balma that they don't say in the dub, but I think like her wallet of, or like yeah, yeah, her, her, wallet. her car keys. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, they censored that out a little bit. So I was like, this is that's interesting. I definitely got those same vibes, but if anything, it just made me laugh a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that does kind of move us forward to, we basically get to see that Goku is now taking his newly found Nimbus to confront Piccolo. Uh, Piccolo is making preparations to head out to West city to blow that bitch up. And Tien is en route to attempt to trap and contain King Piccolo. Uh, Also trying to get there quickly before anything happens to West city. And I think that we actually, we, we see Tien arrive at the King's castle and confront Piccolo and say, hey, I'm here to kick your ass. Yeah, Piccolo is kind of in in mid-travel. He's making his way up to his cool little new King Sky plane, and this is where Tien kind of crashes the party, right? And he sees the kind of the smug look on Tien, and he knows he's, he's getting ready for a fight here. And they both sort of set, like, their their plans aside, right? Like, they they meet up on the ground, and they're going to have the, themselves a nice little honorable duel. Whereas Tien, he knows he's got the evil containment wave in his back pocket. And he just needs to get close enough to use it. And Piccolo, he's actually going to have a little bit more fun with this fight. And Tien's plans kind of go sideways when we see that all too familiar birthing process that Piccolo has. Oh, I called it na- a vomit it's, burst. <laughs> it's nasty every time, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, Piccolo basically vomit births another egg, uh, another one of his children, and this it, it looks very similar to uh, Tambourine, and it, it's much larger though. It's much burlier and rounder. And as a result, Piccolo names this child of his Drum. Yep, all all of Piccolo's minions all have to have instrument-related names, right? I love the pun names in Dragon Ball. Absolutely love them. <laughs> but we, we now have this kind of towering, muscular, scaly, evil minion of Piccolo who... And if you remember, whenever Piccolo creates a new minion, they're created with a purpose, right? And so when when Drum or Drum is born, his one sole purpose is to kick Tien's ass. 
And <laughs> I absolutely love the idea of this. Yeah, yeah. You made a child, a mini-me, just to kick this one person's ass. <laughs> if anything, if I was TN, I'd be flattered. I uh, Yeah, it's a big deal. You got a whole creature dedicated to beating you up. <laughs> but things are getting a little complicated for TN, and they remain complicated for the rest of this episode as we dive into episode 119. Will it work? The legendary Mafuba, which is yeah. evil, evil containment wave, right? That's right. That's our Mafuba. Yeah, buddy. And the first thing they show this episode is that pandemonium is just continuing in West City. And Bulba's panicking at this point because she's not really able to get a hold of her family. And from what we know, Mr. and Mrs. Briefs are doing a terrible job of packing and leaving. They are walking around the house looking for like a nice dress or or forgetting about the plants and you got to go water those and it, it, it is just they aren't leaving they, they're gotta staying in west cat. city yeah they got to find the cat. the cat oh it <laughs> at this point you just kind of resign them to whatever fate they're gonna have yeah i mean if they're unwilling to leave i mean they they've got to have like a flying car or something right these guys are rich they got capsules and capsule money like they could probably get out of there and avoid all of the traffic <laughs> oh i'm sure they got they probably have a teleporter that he's invented he could probably save the whole city if he wanted to but he's he's gotta water the plants that's right you gotta take care of what's important but <laughs> that kind but of back on just... the main scene all right i'm just gonna talk over you uh back on the main <laughs> scene we do get tn kind of squaring up against drum and his game plan for, for this battle is to just bypass Piccolo's newest offspring and just get Piccolo with the evil containment wave. He's just going to ignore Drum. And this proves to be pretty difficult when Drum proves to be quite quick for his size, kind of matching TN for move for move. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's fun watching TN try to dash and dodge around drum and drum just cut him off at every pass and so tn kind of puts the rice cooker capsule away in his belt and sits down for the long haul as he gets ready to fight drum but drum lands multiple heavy hits before tn is even able to retaliate and we kind of cut over briefly to see our hero goku as he's traveling on the nimbus and he hears a couple of familiar voices in trouble as he flies over the ox king and chi chi being attacked by soldiers saying that they are working for king piccolo to get rid of all of the famous martial artists of the world yeah, and this is something that Piccolo wanted to do since our some of our first meetings with him when they broke into the World Martial Arts Tournament to steal the list. Piccolo sitting on Pilaf's ship with all of their names kind of spanning out and all the damage that Tamarine did. I am kind of glad that they revisited this, that this was kind of a, an obsession for Piccolo, and it's still continuing, so... It's it's a nice little touch. It's a nice little detail that I think makes the character feel a little bit more alive and, and somebody that exists in the world. 
I agree. It's good characterization for Piccolo. I mean, of of course he's going to hold a grudge when he feels like he's all powerful and he's been trapped for decades because of one little human martial artist. And so he's going to do his damnedest to make sure that never happens again. But yeah. And the, we have the ox King, we have Chi Chi and they're being pinned back by, you know, normal machine guns, which we know those don't do much to pretty much anybody who's a master Roshi level. Right. And Things get a little spicier, though, when they decide to break out a bazooka. And this is the point where the Ox King starts feeling a little bit more nervous. But thankfully, Goku arrives just in time to save the day. I'm not going to lie. When they fire that bazooka and Goku steps in and blocks it, just like full on cross anime blocks it with a big grin on his face, I was like, oh, he's such a badass. (laughs) I mean, it's it's also kind of showing you kind of the power difference between the Ox King and remember how powerful he was and where Goku currently is. They are on different planets. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dragon Ball's power scaling can be all over the place sometimes, but one thing, especially that original Dragon Ball does very well is use its characters who are at a certain power level as measuring sticks for the progress of our main characters. And Goku's leaps and bounds beyond the power level of the Ox King at this point. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a checkpoint, right? It's, all right, yep, better than the Ox King. And up at this point, I mean, Goku's, done as much as Master Roshi and more at this point, right? Because Roshi's done uh, Korin's training, but Roshi didn't even do, as far as I know, the, um. well, no, he couldn't have done the Ultra Divine Water because everyone who's drank it has died. So Goku's the only one to do that. So we're getting to the point where Goku's forging his own adventure, his own achievements. He's on his own at this point. This is now Goku's adventure. He's not just following in the steps of previous masters. Yeah, absolutely. And this this scene kind of wraps up in a way that I really enjoyed as the soldiers are still getting ready to attack. They're like, kid, get the hell out of the way. We've got a job to do. And Goku does nothing more than simply dash in their direction quickly and the soldiers run away screaming. <laughs> I mean, do you blame them? The kid just blocked a missile. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is pretty awesome. I mean, this is again, this is it's a measuring stick scene. It's showing how badass Goku is and showing his resolve and his his attitude towards the fight coming up with King Piccolo. Yeah, and man, we're we're getting there, but we we do cut away for just a moment to show Yamcha and Balma and Launch all kind of being being fed up with sitting on the sidelines and watching the world go to hell. And they decide that, you know, even with Yamcha's bad leg, they can't sit by and watch everything fall into chaos. And they decide to make their way to, I guess, ground zero and see what they can do to help. And that kind of cuts us back to ground zero with Tien versus Drum. As the fight continues, Drum is delivering most of the blows and his speed is easily matching Tien's as Tien tries to outmatch Drum's. But 
it gets to a point where drum has knocked Tien to the ground and he's getting ready to deliver the finishing blow to Tien's back. Uh, Tien, not quite down and out, turns around and punches drum right in the face, kicks him in the gut, gives him a headbutt, and then puts him into a chokehold. And we kind of think that things maybe are turning around in Tien's favor, but not so much. Yeah, Drum is kind of overwhelmingly just powerful. He's huge. He's kind of obscene in the way he's able to just always come back with more power, regardless of what Tien does. And it kind of proves to be too much. Tien is knocked to the ground again, and he's kind of looking all but defeated at this point. And it's at this moment that Tien kind of attempts to rush rush past Drum and launch the evil containment wave kind of in rapid uh rapid fire pace and we see piccolo he's he sees the wave he recognizes it and you see that kind of that that primal fear that he has of that technique kind of overtake him for a moment but this is where the uh i guess the loose end comes back into play and drum just jumps in front of the wave blocking piccolo from what should be his defeat yeah, this is a big deal. And I mean, the evil containment wave is is clearly used for enemies who are more powerful than the the wielder of the technique. But its downfall is if there's it's really a one-on-one technique. Like if there's somebody else involved here as we see with drum, it I mean, it's not going to be very successful because Drum jumps in. Tien basically tries to put J- Drum into the rice cooker, but Piccolo kind of snaps out of it and uses a small key blast to destroy the rice cooker as Drum slams into the ground with the key pushing him towards the cooker. Uh, and Tien kind of drops to the ground, having expended most of his energy. And I love this scene because it kind of shows how young and rash Tien is, right? He was so focused on the objective that he forgot about the battle. And it ended up biting him in the butt. It ended up putting him in a much worse spot than he should have been in. If he would have thought through the entire steps, how do I defeat Drum? How do I make sure I get Piccolo you know, sealed away properly? But instead, he wanted to cut to the finish line. He wanted to take that shortcut and just bypass the current enemy he's not worried about and go for the big fish. And it it, it really shows how much Tien still has to learn at this point, how much a master could teach him, how much he could settle down and mature. I think it's a great scene. I think it's it's a great downfall and something that's been hinted at a little bit with Tien's character. Oh, yeah. I mean, even in the last tournament, Tien was very cocky and Roshi alluded to a lot of this stuff like, hey, I could I could teach you. I could help temper that attitude. And even when Tien and Master Roshi and Chaozu were going to confront Piccolo, Tien the entire time was like, let me help you. Let me do this. And then with the the evil containment wave, Tien was like, no, I have to do this on my own. I'm the only one who can do this. I saw the evil containment wave like. All of this has been building up to this moment where Tien is, like you said, it's his, it's his downfall where he's just too, he's too brash. He's too, uh, he's too cocksure. 
and he's not in a position to defend himself against these two green monsters in this moment. Yeah, and with pretty much all of his energy spent, Tien is defenseless, and Piccolo, just laughing, gives the order that he wants Drum to kill Tien slowly and painfully. And mm, I love that order. But the episode, this is where normally the episode would end, right? This is normally where we would get the cliffhanger, but we don't quite yet. As Drum moves in for what should be the finishing blow, we see him just wham, just knocked back hard. And this is where our little hero, Goku, finally arrives on scene. This is beautiful. I love everything about this. This is, I mean, as someone who loves Dragon Ball Z and loves the Saiyan saga, this feels very much like Goku coming in and kicking Nappa in the face. And even the art here, as we get the full screen shot of Goku in all of his divine water glory, it's it's gorgeous. And it's the shot, too, is taken directly from the manga, from like a full page panel of the manga. I mean, they did, they just did such a good job on this. I could gush about this for for hours. Um, but Goku, I mean, this is also, again, expressing how powerful Goku is, how confident he is going into this fight. And he knocks around this powerful minion that was knocking Tien around with no effort at all. Yeah, and it's, I mean, how many moments in Dragon Ball can you think about that were this moment where things are bad and then Goku shows up and he's he's a whole different Goku than the last time you saw him, right? It's, this is a Dragon Ball trope that to some degree actually fills my heart with joy because how many bad situations were, were was everyone bailed out of and you were cheering for it? Yeah, honestly, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I feel like this might be the origin of that moment. Like, I know that there are other moments kind of like this, like where I guess where Krillin is fighting uh, General Blue, I think it is, with the Red Ribbon Army and Goku shows up and saves him. But this feels like it's really cementing that like, okay, somebody's fighting and they're in trouble okay, Goku has just powered up and Goku arrives at the very last minute to save them. The only other moment I can think of is is kind of that moment with General Blue and Krillin is, is a little bit like this, but not as epic. I mean, the, the, the stakes have never been higher. And this is the first time it's happened in, I don't know, in, in I guess a much more serious environment. If maybe there's been one or two similar-ish moments like this, but this is the first one where you have the battlefield, you have the dire scene, and then you have Goku's arrival. And these three elements are, it happens so many more times in Dragon Ball after this. But you're right. I think this is probably the sig- the first signature Goku arrival where things were literally at their bleakest for all the Z fighters, the world itself, and Goku arrives. I don't know. I love it. And you're right. The... The art they used for Goku's arrival, I didn't make a note of how just special it looked. How much more detail and, and emotion was on Goku's face and just the everything about it that should be a poster because of how good it looked. 
It's so good. Like, I mean, I didn't even mention the emotion on his face, which is a good point where he's just got like his his brow turned down, his chin turned down, his eyes locked on Piccolo and just a frown, like a stern frown of like confidence and almost hatred on his face. It's oh, man, it's good. I I love this so much. It's that look your mom gives you when the school called her and she shows up to pick you up. It's that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we have one more little last thing that happens in this episode because it could have ended there, but it didn't. And Piccolo gives the order to drum to dispose of Goku. And Goku defeats drum in basically one blow, just one blow. Yeah. Yeah, and we we get a shot of Goku with like a smug grin on his face, which I do kind of want to talk about that moving forward a little bit too, which is interesting. But I think that pretty much takes us into the next episode. Yes, that smug look continues into episode 120, which is anger at full power. And yeah, we get Goku and Piccolo exchanging some pleasantries just before they sit down to do battle. Yeah, I mean, Piccolo immediately attacks Goku. Uh, Goku, I mean, we're we're all kind of waiting with bated breath here to see what happens, right? And Goku just sticks an arm out, solidly blocks this attack. Everyone, except for Goku, is surprised by this. <laughs> this is great. He even goes so far as to block a second attack, grab Piccolo's arm, and then chuck him through a building. Yeah, the ground shakes, and even the uh, the old King Furry kind of takes notice of the battle that's going on outside. And so word's starting to kind of get around a little bit that the the new king is his reign is being threatened. Yeah, and Goku has a little bit of banter here again. That I want to just keep touching on this point because. Goku is pretty cocky. Goku is kind of like trash talking King Piccolo. Like, is that all you got? And it's, I think it's an important part of his character here that like, especially moving forward with the rest of Dragon Ball. Yeah, it's, it's Goku's trying to goad everything he can out of his opponent. He's, he's definitely asking for something and you always wonder, is he going to get what he's asking for? Yeah, right. And Piccolo is not happy about it. Piccolo kind of turns around with some pointed finger key blasts that feel it almost feels like a like a combination of like Piccolo's special beam cannon and Frieza's death beam as he's kind of firing on Goku and Goku's just dodging blast after blast with little effort. Yeah, his speed is on full display at this point as Piccolo is unable to touch him. And remember, the last time these two met, Piccolo toyed with Goku for a couple of minutes and then when he turned it up, there was no comparison between the two. It was a completely one-sided affair. So that ultra-divine Godwater, it's, uh, I mean, it definitely does what's on the tin. Yeah, I mean, it it certainly fit the bill for this fight, that's for sure, because Goku is clearly the one with the advantage this time. And there's, 
I mean, with Goku dodging all of Piccolo's attacks, Piccolo leaps into the air and fires a large key blast at Goku, forcing him to leap and dodge out of the way, which is what Piccolo wanted as he follows it up with another big key blast with Goku in the air, unable to really change trajectory. And Goku simply blocks, recovers, and seems no worse for wear. So he's perfectly fine. Yeah, and it's it's once again, it's Goku is on a completely different level than Goku. And I mean, we we see Goku kind of leap back into battle. He's kind of rushing past Piccolo's guard, uh, sending him just, you know, hitting him with blows that send him just sprawling into the dirt. And Piccolo's getting pissed. Piccolo can't stand the fact that this child that he just wiped the floor with not too long ago is now getting the upper hand on him. And after getting knocked down a couple times like that, we get the biggest Dragon Ball trope ever. Like the number one Dragon Ball trope. Which is... Piccolo hasn't been fighting at full strength this whole time. (laughs) Oh, I was like, which one are we going for here? (laughs) Yep. Piccolo's been holding back. So commence the power up scene. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a decent little exchange here. One of the things that I, I really like actually right before this is one of the other iconic tropes in Dragon Ball, especially with our character Goku, because Goku has Piccolo on the ropes. Goku is just knocking this green monster around. And then as Piccolo is kind of like on the back foot, Goku stops, Goku pauses and gives Piccolo a moment to kind of recover just before he powers up. And Tien even goes so far as to say, Goku, what are you waiting for? That same blood. (laughs) Yeah, man. Like he wants that challenge. Uh, And Piccolo even goes so far as to say here, like he's, he's taunting Goku and he says, it feels good. Doesn't it? We both love inflicting pain, like trying to draw that kind of evil side out of Goku. I really like that, that dialogue there. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, it, I don't know. It's interesting so far. It's kind of been a one-sided affair, so I'm not, I'm waiting for the hook though. Still, because so far, I really haven't been impressed with much of the animation in this battle. There hasn't, aside from the over-the-shoulder arm throw, it's just been kind of some dodging scenes and just one will hit the other and they'll go flying. And then in the next scene, one, you know, they'll hit them back. And so I'm I'm basically just waiting for stuff to get good at this point. Yeah, I'd, I'd call it middle of the road it's it's not terrible it doesn't repeat animations uh each each attack at least feels individual if not terribly creative um but we do get after the very traditional dragon ball power-up piccolo punches goku into the ground creating a giant crater almost thinking that he's just from this one blow defeated our young Saiyan boy. But then we get to hear one of our favorite taglines coming from the crater with just a little distant Ka-me. And we kind of 
are left with that as a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, we uh, well, we get Goku leaping up from the rubble, and he's kind of in the air with the Kamehameha wave ready in his hands. And so they're they're definitely bridging this battle over to the next episode. They're, yeah. they're taking us with them. And if anything, I think this episode has kind of shown just, I guess, how much um, both of these characters can can do, how strong they are, how they're truly on a different level than everything else around them. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it, it I mean, immediately carries over to the next episode with this fight. Yes. And the next episode is episode 121, Son Goku's Greatest Crisis. And we kind of pick back up on that flying through the air Kamehameha wave as Goku unleashes it. And we see Piccolo raise his arms up, declaring that it won't work on him. And this is where we see, I actually really like this scene right here, where Goku starts kind of contorting his body and moving his hands. And we see him kind of manipulating his key. And we see the blast kind of go towards Piccolo, take a quick turn to the right, move around, and then strike Piccolo in the weak spot on his back. I We've seen stuff like this in Dragon Ball Z, but we haven't seen a ton of it in Dragon Ball. And it is so well, it also shows Goku's mastery of the Kamehameha at this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the... I mean, we could kind of start making a list of all of the in, ingenious ways that Goku has used the Kamehameha at this point. I mean, using it to like get back into the ring, using it to propel a submarine. Uh, I mean, using it in a way that like circumvents somebody's block. Like this is this is creative and this is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's I mean, we've seen the Kamehameha curve, but we haven't seen it like heat seek past defenses. And it's I don't know. It's really cool. I'm glad they took the time to even animate it, too. It's very well done. Full points in this one. I loved the technique of the Kamehameha wave. I do have to criticize its impact, though. It was just kind of a little smoke cloud and Piccolo slightly annoyed. Yeah, I I kind of felt that way too. Like I really liked the animation when they showed it curving around him, but then when it connects with Piccolo, I was like that part felt just a little bit awkward in the animation department. The Kamehameha wave beautifully animated, lighting great, but the impact was just a little soft for me, but I think we've kind of beaten that to death at this point. So, why don't we move on to uh the two warriors here green king piccolo and goku lining back up and exchanging some more blows yeah i mean we get a pretty cool almost like donkey kick from piccolo or sorry from goku to piccolo as piccolo is chasing goku and there's just punch and kick after punch and kick landed i did actually make a note in here that the animation is a little bit meh it's just middle of the road for what should be such a big fight unfortunately yeah this feels like this should be the big climactic episode right it's kind of the big showdown between piccolo arguably the biggest villain we've had in dragon ball so far and somebody who's taken so much from goku and the dragon ball universe and we're kind of getting this, I don't know, this all right fight. And this should really be this emotional, like, zenith of animation sort of affair. And it's just all right. And I, but 
I don't know. I mentioned this kind of earlier that I'm not blown away by the animation and I'm still not. And it's it's okay. Like I said, there's a couple tiny little nuggets of scenes that I like, but I, I was really expecting a lot considering how much damage Piccolo's done. Yeah. Yeah, I, I felt the same. Actually, this next part I want to hear your take on because Piccolo gets knocked through a building and then in retaliation picks up a piece of that building. It's like a like a brick that he launches at Goku. Uh, Goku kind of blocks it, but it it blocks his vision because it was directed towards his face. So with his vision briefly blocked, Piccolo uses that opening to laser eye Goku's knee, trying to debilitate him. What did you think about this exchange, Dayton? Uh, I don't necessarily mind the end result, but it felt a little awkward to me. Um, I don't mind the idea of it. It just felt a little like I'm throwing a rock at you. Oh, I noticed that you took the bait. I'm going to laser your, your leg. It just felt really what's the word I'm looking for? It just felt a little, I don't know, rough how they got there. It's, I don't mind the result of what happened, but I wish it would have been just done a little bit more smoothly. I felt the exact same way. Like it was even in my head. I mean, you have again, like a kind of a standard trope of like the bad guy throwing sand in somebody's eyes. Like this almost felt like that to me, but worse like I honestly, I would have even taken the cliche of Piccolo throwing sand in Goku's eyes, if only because it would have felt like a little bit more sinister to me. But yeah, and I think that's supposed to be kind of the goal of this, right? Is that Piccolo's fighting dirty? I'm I'm guessing that's supposed to be the goal, but I didn't really get that. It just felt like Piccolo throwing a rock at him, and so Goku stopped looking for ten seconds, and so Piccolo shot his leg. Yeah, I, I like you said, I, I like the end result. I like that Piccolo is trying to debilitate Goku and, and is kind of fighting dirty. I just didn't like the execution so much. Yeah, and I I don't know. I'm I'm OK with it, but I'm not necessarily. I don't know. It's not like, say, when Gohan decided to jump in the way to save Vegeta from Cell, right? where that's where Gohan's arm gets all messed up in the Cell Saga. There's not that same kind of level of, I understand why this happened. It just feels like a rock was thrown at him, and now we're in this. Yeah, we're kind of in this situation. It's it's a little odd, but we do kind of keep moving forward. Goku leaps at Piccolo with his power pole, with his knee messed up now, but extending the power pole, he's able to get in on Piccolo without having to use his own legs and actually plow his knee into Piccolo's face. Uh, this makes the Demon King quite angry. And then he charges his key blast and begins just almost like firing range style, firing them over and over at Goku. This is actually a pretty cool scene in, in the fights as Goku kind of counters with his own key blast slash Kamehameha variants. Yeah, it's almost like he's utilizing that same energy you see in the Kamehameha wave, except he's using it like defensively, right? He's able to kind of deflect and and kind of counter some of the attacks that are coming his way and even launch one of his own Kamehameha waves back, which this is kind of a little baby Kamehameha, though, and it pretty much doesn't phase Piccolo. 
Yeah, I I like this exchange a lot, and it it kind of turns into Piccolo using his key blast to target specifically the power pole because Goku, with his leg disabled at this point, is using it quite literally as a crutch. And so he knocks away Goku's crutch. And with that out of the way, with Goku presumably not being able to move, Piccolo charges a huge key blast and fires it, wiping out the land, the city, everything in it, in its path. Yeah, and we see it's almost like a nuclear bomb-level explosion, the way they animate it, with kind of lightning arcing through it. And once the dust from this massive explosion kind of settles, everything is this kind of barren wasteland. And uh, we see Piccolo actually celebrating for just a moment, kind of claiming victory and smiling. And, well, that's quickly interrupted when you start hearing the childish taunts of Goku, who is very much still alive. This is pretty neat because as Piccolo looks up, he sees not only Goku, but Tien holding on to Goku. As we see, Tien was Goku's savior in this moment, which is not only really cool for Tien, a really badass moment, but also fascinating because Tien even expresses at one point that he's having a hard time even following Goku's movements in this fight. And so he really had to be on point in that moment to really save Goku's bacon. Yeah, and unfortunately for Goku and his bacon, this is pretty much the last, I guess, bit of energy that Tien can offer. He slowly floats back to the ground, releasing Goku, and then collapses himself. So Goku's starting to run out of get-out-of-jail-free cards as, at this point, as Tien is now pretty much useless for the rest of this battle. Yeah. And with that in mind, with Tien on the ground, with Goku's leg injured, Piccolo's like, well, all I have to do is do that one more time. And you have no, you know, you have no ace up your sleeve. You have no way out of this. And so he begins charging what he calls his explosive wave. And Goku's like, now's my chance. This is my moment. Goku uses his one good leg to leap in at Piccolo and deliver a devastating punch to the gut. But it's not quite hard enough. Yeah, after delivering the blow, and for a moment it looks like the attack is interrupted, but Piccolo kind of roars back defiantly, and this is where Goku mentions, man, only having one leg caused me to not have enough oomph behind my attack. And this is bad. We see that same energy from the first attack kind of envelop Piccolo once again. And we see our main hero, Goku, get hit and hit hard by this explosive wave technique. Yeah, this is cool. And I, I really like the little detail that Goku expresses. Man, without my other leg, I just didn't have enough oomph for that attack. I mean, it for anybody who knows how to throw a punch, anybody who's done any sort of martial arts, like you know how important it is to be grounded and to rotate your body into the attack. And I really like that little, again, nod to traditional real life martial arts in there. Uh, but with Goku kind of blasted and presumably wiped out, 
Uh, Piccolo, once again, thinking that he's won this fight, he does look over the cliff and see none other than Goku, who is certainly hurt, but gets lifted out of the another crater by the Nimbus cloud still in the fight. I was so mad because this erased Tien's sacrifice that he had just done about five seconds ago completely. Because <laughs> it ended up happening anyway. And so Tien's little last gasp of energy eh, didn't matter. Goku got hit by the wave anyway. You know, that's a good point. Uh, the only thing, though, I think that makes it okay is that I think Goku even expresses uh, verbally that hey, you know, that blast wasn't nearly as powerful as the first one. So whereas the first one probably would have wiped him out, the second one certainly hurt him, but wasn't enough to take him out of the fight. I suppose so, but I'd, with a, a cataclysmic level technique, I'd rather it be like a one-time use thing, and then we put it away. So it just... I don't know. It just would have felt better if we only saw the technique once and you sit there and think, whoa, what if that would have hit Goku? Well, yeah. eh. now, now there's some debate. I know what you mean. I Honestly, it, it could also be argued or said that Tien saving Goku was almost meaningless because Nimbus just could have done the same thing. That's true. But Goku, I believe, has to call for Nimbus. Goku has to have that that state of mind, right? And it was Tien's quick thinking that saved Goku and not Goku's quick thinking. And I like giving the credit to to Goku or not Goku, Tien. <laughs> Goku gets too much credit. No, get yeah. out of here. Yeah, I don't think Goku needs any additional credit. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I mean, the fight kind of seems like it's getting into the final stages of its battle as we see Goku just in absolute tatters and ruin and as he's kind of hanging on to the, the tail of the Nimbus but still defined and still fighting. And we see Piccolo just gasping for air as his tank is kind of, well, he's pretty much gassed. Yeah. Both of our fighters at this point are, are uh, well, almost quite literally for Goku on their last leg. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, enough of those jokes. We're going into episode <laughs> 122, which is the final gamble. And Piccolo is kind of pushed into a corner at this point. And Piccolo's not above using whatever means possible to win. And this is where he moves over to the defenseless Tien Shinhan. And Goku can't help but watch. Goku can't help but look on because Goku can't run. Goku can't move. And Tien is just laying there. Yeah. I like this a lot. I like that Piccolo, I mean, latches on to Tien's head and and Piccolo is is big. Like Tien's a big human, but Piccolo's even significantly larger. So Piccolo's hands with his long claws wrap all the way around Tien's head and he begins squeezing it like a melon, uh threatening Goku saying, "Hey, you won't move." And this this not only shows how sinister Piccolo is, but it also shows how afraid he is of Goku in this moment where he needs, he needs a hostage. He needs a way to kind of cheat his way to victory. And Goku, Goku complies. Goku does is worried about TN. 
Uh, and Piccolo uses this opportunity to blow a rock with his mouth at Goku, disabling, I, I presume, breaking his arm in this moment. I don't mind the torture. I am curious about the technique to apply it. The blowing the rocks thing was very bizarre to me. It's so interesting. I mean, it, it's it's kind of cool to me in that it shows like just how fucking strong Piccolo is that he can use <laughs> his the wind from his mouth to blow a rock and deal damage. But I, I get what you mean. Like he just as easily could have thrown it at Goku. He could have flicked it at Goku. It's a little bit odd. <laughs> that that part felt a little out of place to me. But I love Piccolo just kind of enjoying the moment and slowly killing his prey. And uh, you're you're right. It's absolutely sinister. We first see Goku's arm get basically broken, and then he follows it up by basically breaking Goku's one good leg. And so Goku collapses to the ground, one good limb, but I don't think that's going to be enough to, to take down a mole. Well, a demon king who seems to be at least fully functional at this point. Yeah, this is, I mean, again, throughout this arc, we've seen our heroes in really dire situations. This feels like another one, despite Piccolo showing quite a bit of fear by taking a hostage in TN. Goku has one working limb. He has his single arm. Neither of his legs work. His other arm doesn't work. Like, how can he possibly fight in this moment? Oh, there is one point I want to bring up about the hostage situation. There is a moment where Goku is going to go in on the attack. Because he mentions that, I'm sorry, Tien, we'll just have to bring you back with the Dragon Balls. And this is where Piccolo reveals that he destroyed the Eternal Dragon. So we do get one Goku very early on just remembering that there are Dragon Balls, which I love that. For some reason, it's just, I don't know. Goku's pushed into a corner and while sacrificing your friend sucks, he remembers that there are Dragon Balls. He knows he can bring them back. So at least at least in this dire situation, he he, I guess, lets it be OK, which is kind of a, I guess, a crazy thing for Goku to sacrifice somebody to bring down the bad guy. It's a big deal, right? Like, I mean, we even just went through, let's compare that to his moment where he was working to get the ultra divine water, where he was holding onto Yajirobe at the cliff. Goku was being pummeled. Uh, I mean, to within an inch of his life. And I think the, the difference is that Goku is fully willing to take any sort of abuse and punishment in order to protect his friends. But in this situation, it's either his friend's life or everybody's lives. Yeah, that's the thing is if Goku sacrifices himself in this situation, he condemns the whole world. And that's, gosh, that amount of weight on a kid's shoulders. That's, yeah. that's a lot. And I mean, it, did show some growth in Goku because there might have been a time where he would have said, absolutely not. I'll like, I'd rather die than hurt somebody else. But I mean, the stakes are so high at this point that that's, I mean, I guess you could say it's a mature decision or a tough decision, but to some degree, it's the right decision because he knows that he can bring his friend back. 
Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And it, it's a heavy decision. Like you said, it's a heavy decision for a child to make. But we kind of move past that point as Tien is kind of out of the picture. Uh, Piccolo thinks that he has the upper hand, given that he has two working hands and two working legs compared to Goku's single working hand. And so Piccolo basically flies up into the air. He's ready to more or less end this fight. And Goku's like, you know, I've, I'm not finished. I, I still have to find a way to fight. And so Goku begins a one-handed Kamehameha, not at Piccolo, but directed at the ground. Right, and this is something we've seen Goku do a couple times before where he uses the Kamehameha wave as a form of locomotion. We've seen him use it actually just recently against Tien when he did it in the air. Um, we've seen him, you know, move a submarine with it. We've we've seen Goku be all sorts of innovative with the Kamehameha wave. And we see it again as Goku lifts off the ground and begins just propelling himself towards a King Piccolo who's barreling down on him from the air. So we're about to have the final exchange of this battle. And I mean, they're setting it up great that we've got lighting is fantastic as both characters are kind of covered in the veil of the um, the colors that represent them. Piccolo's kind of got this dark background that he's always portrayed in. Goku's got that new kind of like light blue heavenly light as his bluish energy kind of envelops him as he flies through the air. And we've got the clashing of good and evil happening in, in real color and real time. Yeah, and that's a that's a good eye as to the attention to detail in this scene because it's it's really well done. And as Goku flies at King Piccolo, Goku extends his arm out, his only good arm, uh, as he's highlighted by this energy, getting ready to deliver this punch. And you see the flash of the large ozaru the the giant ape form behind him uh piccolo extends both of his hands out like and even says i'll block it and in in that flashing moment we see our hero goku on the other side of piccolo and we get to see a gaping hole through the center of Piccolo's torso. Yeah, and as Goku's ripping out the other side of Piccolo, there's even this brief moment where what should have been like a thought of victory or a thought of, you know, yes, I defeated this evil. It was Goku thinking about all of his fallen friends and how he's glad he was able to avenge them. And... I don't know. It was just such a touching point to me because Goku's eyes are clenched and he's, you know, he's kind of tearing up over the fact that he at least got got the guy who got his guys. Yeah, I think that was one of the most important parts to him. I mean, of course, saving, saving his world, saving the other people. But a lot of this was about revenge for Goku. 
um and that that meant a lot to him and going into this fight but we do get kind of our last few moments with the demon king piccolo as he begins kind of lamenting his moments on this earth but also saying that his legacy is not going to go unremembered as he begins the putrid process of vomit birthing another egg and this time launches it far off into the distance and i think he kind of expresses something to the effect of uh my son take down all of my enemies as he for whatever reason then explodes <laughs> i did laugh at that part but we we do know that piccolo has some sort of plan b something that's going to uh to come back and haunt our heroes but there's no time for that right now there's exploding piccolos and goku's plummeting towards the earth with only one good arm yeah and we we've kind of skipped over this but Yamcha, Balma, and Launch have kind of been making their way to Ground Zero, like Dayton had mentioned. Yajirobe also has been making his way there, and his motivation is the fact that Goku still owes him dinner. And Yajirobe just so happens to be in the right place at the right time as he flies through the crater on his car uh, runs, leaps over the crater, catches Goku in midair, and lands on the other side of the crater, saving our hero. Yeah, and we kind of get this lighthearted exchange between the two and a couple laughs as there's kind of this, you know, exhale after the, the big baddie's finally been defeated. But there's also a moment where Goku needs, to, he needs to confirm the fate of Roshi and Chaozu and the eternal dragon and Tien kind of, you know, he, he lets Goku know that it's all real, that, that they're all gone. And I mean, it's, it is kind of a, something that you wouldn't believe if someone told you, right? Like you'd have to, you'd have to confirm it. And I like that Goku, Goku was still thinking about them even though he probably knew that that was their fate. Yeah. And I mean, this, this episode kind of quickly comes to a close. Uh, we, we are as the audience left with quite a few questions as Yajirobe drives away with the injured Goku, they kind of pass Balma uh, launch and the others. Um, Tien, well, Tien, before Yajirobe drives away, Tien actually does claim to Goku that he's going to, he's impressed with his power and he's going to beat him in the next tournament. And Goku's like, ha, yeah, right. Good joke. Um, and then Yajirobe drives away and our our heroes like Balma and, and Yamcha and them are late to the scene similar to in the red red ribbon army arc when they went to go back up goku and they got there as the whole army was destroyed yeah and i mean it's i don't know it felt like there maybe should have been a little bit more closure to this episode or something but 
I mean, I haven't seen anything ahead of this episode, so I'm kind of hoping that maybe we get a little bit more closure later on, but it's kind of a, the bad guy's defeated, Goku, you need to go get some, some medical aid, Yajiro, we take him off, and um, yeah, it kind of just stops there. That's kind of the end of it. There's not really a time for mourning or resolution or anything, so I'm kind of hoping that maybe that's picked up in the next episode. I think it probably is. I think the trouble here is that with the 24 minute block episodes, they kind of ran themselves into a spot where they, the next episode has both like the bit of closure and resolution that we need for this arc to wrap up, but also then dives deep into the next story arc. So the end of this episode is considered the end of the King Piccolo arc. It does feel a little bit abrupt. Yeah, it's like I said, I'll I'll reserve judgment for now because there's definitely I mean, like we lost Master Roshi, Chaozu, the Eternal Dragon. Um, we kind of need an episode of getting getting things back together, getting trying to figure out what what is normal now at this point. Yeah. And I'll be honest, it, it's been a long time since I've watched the original Dragon Ball. I honestly don't remember how they resolved the fact that so many of their friends are dead. Like I, I kind of know where they're going to go with the dragon balls, but at least so even in, at the beginning of dragon ball Z, the dragon that we know as Shenron at that point is only able to resurrect one person per wish, which We've got a dead Chaozu. We've got a dead Master Roshi. Uh, oh, who did? I, oh, a dead Krillin. Uh, we've got at least three dead people who need to be resurrected, and we know show up later in Dragon Ball Z. So, what are they going to do? Uh, well, I mean, we'll get there. We'll get there because there. I have so many questions at this point, and they they better start answering some of them here pretty darn soon. Like. I told you to put a pin in this. Why was snow at King Furry's parade when I feel like it resulted in nothing relevant to the story? Yeah. And I mean, I, I made a note about it too. Like the, the thing for me is that it feels like it makes it a more, more personal stakes for Goku. And it gives snow, like it gives snow a reason to be like, to tell some of the people in the city there, like they're all like, Oh, you know, nobody can stop the demon King. And she's like, I know somebody who can stop the demon King, which is kind of a fun little beat and little dialogue. And she's like, you know, I know this kid who took down an entire army. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. So, I mean, we didn't spend too much time on it, so it's not a big deal, but yeah, it was like, you show, you show snow at the city and then Goku shows up and they never even see each other. I know. As far as I, Goku knows, he, he has no idea that she's there. I get your point. And also, again, we, we might see them like Goku's still in that city. So we might see them connect in the, the beginning of the next episode as well. That's um, true. That's true. But yeah, I, I, I get your point. It, it feels a little bit odd. And but whatever. Uh, what did you think? I, I know that we we talked a little bit about this before the recording. How did you feel about this arc as a whole now that we've kind of come from start to finish? I 
I feel like it's a fairly, I don't know, it, it feels a little underwhelming when I get to the end here. And that's just because Piccolo has been kind of the highest stakes villain we've had at this point. It's not just been winning a tournament or some some bad guy that we're told is bad and might be a jerk. It's he's actually a villain. He's killed Master Roshi and Krillin and he's done all these horrible things. And then we have all this build up to this big fight. And I feel like the the animation for the fight is it's not bad, but it's not great either. It's kind of average. And there's not a ton of sequences that really jump to mind when I think about it. And it was it was very key blast orientated. Um, but I don't know, maybe maybe if I hadn't seen, you know, any other Dragon Ball elements and just watched this. Maybe a key battle like that would be much more exciting, but I don't know. It was just kind of flashing lights, and then at most moments in the fight, one side was obviously stronger than the other. I wasn't really compelled by much in in a lot of what I saw when we got to the end here. Yeah, I think that's fair. I Honestly, I felt pretty similar about it, and I, I feel a little bit bad because I really hyped this arc up to you, Dayton, but going back and rewatching it. So I, again, it's been a long time since I've seen this. So I think my my memory of this arc picked out all of the the best parts of it and remembered those and forgot a lot of the bad elements of it. And it man, I remembered that fight being so much better than what it really was. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not it's not bad. It's just it felt like it should have been better. It really should have. Uh, it it never felt there was only one or two small moments where I felt like the animation really picked up. And really, one of them was like the still of Goku, like really cool still shot. But that like manga still entrance for Goku looked phenomenal. <laughs> and then they rarely picked up the, the animation quality to that level again throughout the, the following episodes, which was just a, a real shame. Yeah, and even with um so with Piccolo, we saw kind of a couple of his key techniques, but we really didn't see anything like crazy or mind-blowing out of him. Everything was just like lasers and explosions. It's not like a lot of other opponents that Goku's had where there's like a twist. There's something that really makes this foe a difficult challenge. This felt the opposite. This just felt like if if you were stronger than Piccolo, then that's all that really mattered. The, the only thing that really stood out to me was just Piccolo using Tien as a hostage. Yeah, and that's more more of a strategy than a technique, right? Where mm -hmm. it, it's it's interesting character writing for sure, and I liked that part about it. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. The only thing uh, beyond that, actually, the only thing that stands out to me for Piccolo is, funny enough, him powering up because we haven't really really seen that in a character yet. I mean, you get to see it with master Roshi doing like his roided out Kamehameha, but I feel like that's for a specific technique. This was just Piccolo raising his power level. Yeah. And we, we, we've seen a little bit of say mad Goku strength, right? Like when he was fighting the red ribbon and things like that, where when Goku gets mad, he does find, more power inside of him but you're right this is 
one of the first I'm just powering up for the sake of getting stronger. And this is, I mean, it's a trope as old as Dragon Ball at this point. So I'm, I'm glad to see it. It, it sparks a little, little warmth in my heart when I see a traditional trope like that this far back. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I did want to also point out too, we, we kind of skipped over it, but Piccolo notes that the reason he doesn't use his full power is because it shortens his lifespan. So there's a little bit of a downside, at least in this case, to his this particular sort of power up. Uh, so I, I kind of like that they at least gave like a a reason behind why he would need to power up. I, I will say the the fighting in this arc, not my favorite, but Kick Piccolo as a character, his characterization is just so good. I think it makes this arc good to watch. I think without Piccolo being as good as he is, I think this would be a pretty dull arc, but they, they did a great job with the character. And he, I mean, when he makes crime legal, I just love it. It is so fun. Yeah. I mean, that part, it's interesting to me. I mean, I, I have a deep love. This is a totally different franchise, but I have a deep love for Batman and the Joker. And that feels like very Joker esque to me, like just release all the criminals, let make crime legal. Like it feels very, <laughs> very chaos, let chaos reign. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, the fights in here are just very middle of the road. There's nothing really to write home about as far as that's concerned. I think what I really like about this arc is Piccolo as a character being the first like overwhelmingly powerful villain who is just completely evil for evil's sake. And then the story uh, and it's again, it's, it's a relatively simple story. It's a, it's a bad guy who wants to take over the world, but the way that this changes the tone and the dynamic for Dragon Ball, which is largely a children's show, we get Krillin's death right off the bat. We get Master Roshi and Chaozu getting killed in scenarios that that feel very familiar to us, that feel like it easily could have been the heroes coming out on top in those scenarios. Uh, and we get things like like Piccolo taking Tien hostage, uh, Piccolo savagely murdering some of those guards, destroying entire cities or chunks of cities. Like these are things that we haven't seen up to this point in Dragon Ball. And they're going to be things that, I mean, like the power up, they're going to be things that carry over throughout the rest of Dragon Ball, which is just really cool to see their origin. Yeah, and if anything, it makes me excited for the next chapter of original Dragon Ball because they've been they've been ramping up that that tone this entire time, and we're getting to the point where it's now starting to feel more, I guess, adult orient like oriented. Like I think it's going to we're almost full circle here. We're almost training wheels are almost completely off, and I'm really excited to see where where the rest of this goes. Yeah, I feel the same. I do want to circle back briefly to the the ultra divine water because mm. I think we both have kind of mixed feelings about this. Maybe I, maybe I'm more mixed than you are, but I 
I remember this being something that I didn't like because they took like the, the divine water or whatever the first water was that Goku was chasing. They circumvented that trope and said like, oh no, we're not going to give you this MacGuffin that makes you stronger. You're, you're just going to work hard and that's how you're going to get stronger. That's like a common theme throughout Dragon Ball is putting in that effort and that, that making, putting in the hard work to grow as a person uh and then they they went back on that and just said well here's this mcguffin now you just need to get it and it'll make you stronger but at least it's not just corin giving goku the water and being like okay here take this you'll get stronger at least he does have to go through this maze that nobody has ever been able to get out of he does have to drink the water that has killed everybody else before him and go through that kind of harrowing situation so I do like that there are at least obstacles to getting this MacGuffin that makes him stronger. It, it It's a big purity test at the end of the day. It's proving if Goku is worthy or not. And, you know, Goku gets it by showing his character, not beating somebody up. Right. And that's why he's awarded the, the divine ultra divine water. I don't like that because we already have that with the um the nimbus cloud we already have his reward for being like a pure-hearted soul right and so he gets a power up for the same reason he already got a previous power up in my eyes and the for me the only reason why i somewhat forgive it is because they've they've already gone to great lengths to bring in like old legends and let this world feel full of mystery and and I don't know, just just random cool shit, right? And this is just another one of those random cool things that makes the world just feel a little bit more mysterious and a little bit more magical. And I don't mind it for that factor, but as far as Goku getting a power-up goes, this was probably one of my least favorite ones that I've seen. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, I certainly have mixed feelings about it. It's not as bad as I remember it being. I remember it just being like, here's the holy water, you're stronger. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm glad that there's a little bit of danger involved or proving of character, but yeah, it's, it's not my favorite power up. I will say I still like this better than the power up they get on Namek of just, we've unlocked your potential. You know, I would have forgiven that if they, if that was their, their hand wave to get all the other characters relevant again, I would just accept it, but mm, (laughs) that ain't quite happened. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Moving them in that direction and then way away from that direction. <laughs> for for a second, they were almost relevant. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's something Dragon Ball has a lot of trouble with is power scaling and making side characters relevant. I'm sure they'll again. rein it in any series now. Uh, sure, one day, 40 years <laughs> from now. Um, but I, I just wanted to touch on that. I think overall... I still really enjoy this arc. I don't enjoy it as much as I remember enjoying it. I think it does have some serious problems, but it's it's really cool to see. I think actually I told Dayton before we recorded that King Piccolo to me feels like a template that they use for the bad guys moving forward, particularly in Dragon Ball Z, where you have this overpowering evil villain and there's this process of trying to overcome them as an obstacle. 
and King Piccolo kind of feels like that template is kind of carried over through like Frieza in particular sticks out in my mind as somebody who uh, is probably very strongly influenced by King Piccolo. So while King Piccolo is not perfect and his arc's not perfect, it does a lot for the series in the future. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's also preparing us for, um, I mean, it, well, it's the completion of the tone change. It, it's now the, the, we're, we're here for more adult content. We're ready for more adult decisions, like the sacrificing of his friend to save the world sort of thing. I mean, it's, I mean, I, everything from here feels like it only gets better and better. So you could mark this as kind of the, the defining arc in the show that really changes what Dragon Ball becomes for everything afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I very much agree. So I think it's, I think it's overall a, a positive arc, if not a perfect one, but I think for me, that pretty much wraps up my thoughts. Did you have anything else you wanted to discuss on this topic, Dayton? Uh, no, I think, uh, I think I'm ready to get towards the end here, man. We've watched a lot of Dragon Ball <laughs> getting close, but <laughs> I think that's it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we follow Goku's ever-increasing power level in the Heavenly Training Arc. With King Piccolo defeated, Goku's going to find himself with a bit of downtime. And we all know Goku only knows one way to spend his downtime. That's right, training. <laughs> who could possibly push goku to the next level what more could be learned about piccolo's demonic past how long can the power pole really get Ooh. find out a next time and to all our fellow dragon ball fans stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. I think Yajirobe knows how long the power pole gets. <laughs>